Hey, Rob. What are we doing here? Hey, Aaron. Are you aware that the BBC released 16,016 sound effects for free available on their website for download for anyone to use? I was not aware of that. I just wanted you to know. <laughs> and uh, that's it. just wanted you to know. thought you should know. <laughs> what, have you searched them all? Like, what's your favorite sound on there so far? There's 16,016, and you're asking me if I've searched them all. Well, that's why I said I, like, amended the question. What's your favorite so far? Oh, I've only, like, I just clicked on 10 or 11 of them just to kind of see what's going on. And there's a lot of weird shit on there. Um, okay. Like, I only went to, like, the first page. I plan to dive in deep uh, sometime later. But they've got, like, gunshots. Mm. And they've got, like, parrots. Okay. And they've got, like, people, like, singing dolls recording. Interesting. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I just, you know, uh, I'm not saying that I would ever take any of these sound effects and just randomly throw them into the podcast, but I'm just saying that they're available. Might. No, I, I would never. <laughs> I would never. What I'm wondering I would is never, why? I would never replace the song Freak Like Who, which we currently use <laughs> as our transition, with, for instance, a foghorn from a ship. I, yeah, I'm sure you would never do that. <laughs> I don't know why I'm you're of... laughing. Don't be ridiculous. Why would I do that? <laughs> I'm why curious. would I risk the integrity of this podcast for something so silly as a foghorn noise? <laughs> I I can't tell whether I'm like one percent sure or ninety nine percent sure that this episode will be separated by a foghorn sound. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I, I, dare I say, I'm 99% sure that there will be foghorn sounds. But now that I've said that, you might deliberately not do it. Now I'm just confused. There's a sound effect called one man, one woman, start and stop. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that means. <laughs> you put put that in the transition then. Oh, it's just it just sounds like people walking together. Why is that a sound effect? I guess if you're like producing a story like the BBC might, they might like talk about someone walking. Oh. Is it like high quality or does it sound like crap? I'm listening to one right now. I mean, they're not great. They kind of sound like something you might hear on NPR kind of sound effects. Yeah, okay. <laughs> one man crawling along small passage. That's the name wow. of the sound effect. Now, do they provide any logic for why there were 16,016? I bet these are all of the ones that they weren't planning and using anymore, but they get to sound like they're being philanthropic by giving them all away for free, when really these are probably all of the super old ones that they haven't used. They Actually, I bet what they did is they have some way of telling when the most recent sound effect was used, and they took all the sound effects that hadn't been used in X time and said, all right, give those for free. Interesting. I don't know. I'm making shit up. I have no idea. They probably did give a reason. I wasn't paying attention. Are these their own sound effects, or have they licensed these from elsewhere and then just got the license to distribute them? Sorry, I'm listening to more sound effects. I have no <laughs> idea. Uh, well, this sound effect's called One Round of Hard Boxing. One Round of Hard... <laughs> Fascinating. Would anyone like the transition to be one round of hard boxing? Yeah, a really I, okay. long transition because it's two minutes and fifty-four seconds. Rob, I think we have at least two transit. Let's let's say there's three. I want foghorn, uh, man, woman, start, stop, whatever that was. There's like fifty of those, and they've all been reprocessed in different ways. I'm gonna have to go through them all. Okay, choose the best one. A hundred uh. men single cheer. Let's hear what this one sounds. Like. <laughs> I hope you insert these into the podcast, because <laughs> it's going to be real dull just listening to you listen to them. Uh, I mean, it's not going to be any more or less dull than we normally uh, are, <laughs> I don't think. That's a good point. Um, and I, I really want one round of hard boxing, so make sure you throw that in there somewhere. 11-month-old baby boy playing with toys. Like, why is that? That's so specific, BBC. What is that? I mean, once you get to the 16,012th, you kind of need to come up with some weird shit. What I wonder is, why didn't they just go for 16,061 and get like a palindrome going? Yeah, I'm sure that's not what they were thinking about. I mean, but 
how could it not be? They were so close. Have like 60 people record themselves throwing a pencil and then have different variations on man throws pencil, woman <laughs> throws pencil, small child throws pencil at large man. Dog drops pencil. <laughs> Dog chews pencil. Dog vomits pencil. Oh, I don't want to hear that one. That one doesn't sound nice at all. <laughs> okay, Rob, make sure you stick as many of them into the podcast as you physically can. Um, or yeah. put, or I got a better idea. At this point, we've talked about it for so long. Put none of them in and just be a tease. <laughs> and I will not put a link to these sound effects in yeah, the show notes. You got to find it yourself. You don't get anything. You don't get the sound effects, and you don't get. <laughs> You don't get the link. All right, this, I'm going to preface this by saying, for anyone who is listening that doesn't care, this is going to be about baseball without yes. really any ulterior motivation i just want to gripe about baseball okay so go ahead and skip ahead i'm gonna be brief as possible (laughs) i'm gonna drag it out i'm gonna try to present the case both ways without sounding like i'm biased however i'm incredibly biased so i'm gonna try to get your opinion on this without me trying Uh, to influence you do i get to guess which one that you are yeah, if you want to. Okay, that's, I do, that's I, good. I, I'm going to try to not sound biased. I'm going to try real hard, but it's, okay. it actually kind of made me a little mad. Okay, I'm ready. Um, so this be the, the first player I want to mention is someone you might have actually heard of. Ichiro okay. Suzuki. I have. Do you know what? When you said a player you might have heard of, the name I thought in my head is, the only name I know is Ichiro. <laughs> yeah. So Ichiro <laughs> is a... Absolute Seattle Mariners legend. Yeah. He came over from Jap- Japan uh, in 2001 to the United States, and he was already oh. 27 when he came over. Okay. And he's still playing in 2018. Dang. Um, he has already passed some of the milestones for automatic Hall of Famer. So okay. So he's going to make it to the Baseball Hall of Fame. He'll We will most likely be the first Japanese-American player in the Hall of Fame. Cool. Um, And he started his career in the Mariners. His best years are all on the Mariners. He was the only thing about the Mariners that was any good for a long time. Okay. At some point, he left Seattle, went and played Uh for some other teams. No one held it against him because he had been really good in Seattle, and Seattle as a team had been really bad. So he stayed here way longer than he had to. We appreciated it, but how many... (laughs) How many 100 lost seasons does the best hitter in baseball really need to suffer through? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so this past offseason, Seattle Mariners re-signed Ichiro. No other team had been picking him up. They re-signed him for a contract, and he's on the team. He's been playing on and off this season. Oh, wait. So he left for another team. Correct. For how long? Oh, I think it's been five or six seasons he's been and gone. And then his, his contract ran out? Yeah. And so nobody his current team didn't want to renew it. His current team to be fair had dumped every single decent player on the team. Ah, uh, okay. So there was some type of maybe weird ass money ball shit that we don't know yet going on. <laughs> um I think the primary reason that Seattle brought Ichiro back is they didn't think any other team was going to sign him. So they didn't okay. think he'd get more playing time anywhere else. And because he is such a fan favorite in Seattle that he's going to put butts in the seats. People yeah, are going to come yeah. to watch Ichiro play. Yeah, okay. Okay, so he's he suffers through Seattle. He must like it a little bit because he could have left earlier, I guess, probably. Definitely. Then, he could have left then, earlier for more money. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then he goes to another team. And then his other team doesn't renew his contract. And now he's got he's twiddling his thumbs. Um, and Seattle re-signs him. Correct. Okay, got it. All right, so, and now here's the other. Ichiro plays outfield. 
primarily right field. Seattle also picked up in the offseason another player from the same team that Ichiro came from. Okay. Who's a young, really good player. Okay. Who, his entire career he played infield, but the position he played in the infield is where Seattle's best player is. So they mm. he completely, in the offseason, completely learned a new position. Okay. And he's been excellent at it. Cool. Cool. Set, next player... Is another player uh, that we picked up in another trade last season who was like, there was another big player in that trade that we actually wanted, and this guy they just threw in as just like, we need to get rid of this guy. And since he's been in Seattle, he's been phenomenal, like way better than anyone expected him to be. And he's super wow. young, and he's been great. And he plays okay. outfield. And then in another trade, two seasons ago, we picked up another guy uh, who has been really good for us, also an outfielder. Okay. So those guys are Mitch Hanniger, the guy that was not supposed to be good that is now good, Ben Gamble, the guy who was a decent prospect and has worked into being a good player, and D. Gordon, the guy from Ichiro's old team. Okay. And Ichiro. So now we're up to four outfielders. Got it. Isn't that... That's one more than actually plays outfield. Than you need. (laughs) All right. One last thing. There's a, there was a very young player that we picked up from Cuba two years ago. Wait, 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 wait. What about shortstop outfield? I don't know what that means. Sorry, that was a joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that we published the video because Rob gave me a look like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Okay, so we got four outfielders, three outfield positions. Right, but hold on. About two okay. seasons ago, we brought over a player from Cuba. Okay. Who initially wasn't great. Okay, going for five. Yeah. And then over <laughs> the past two seasons, he's gotten steadily better. Until okay. this season, Ben Gamble was hurt. One of the four guys I talked about before was hurt. And okay. so this guy has been playing on and off, trading out with the other four outfielders, getting yeah. playing time. And he has been phenomenal. Like, way better than we expected him to be. He's honestly been one of the better players on the whole team so far this season when he's played. Okay. Uh, His name is Guillermo Heredia. So now we're up to five outfielders. Yeah, except one's hurt. Well, he's back now. Oh, he's back. Okay, so we're back at five. So now we officially have five. Okay. What Seattle has done is... Oh, there's more background you need. One more thing. In players' contracts, there's a thing called options. Team options. What a team option means is that they can send a player down to the minor leagues. Uh Uh-oh. And then bring them back. Okay. (laughs) And if they have five options in their contract, then they can do that five times. Okay. Star players negotiate options out of their contracts. Yeah. So okay. that if a team wants to send them to the minors, they they, can't. C- they can, but then any then that player once they get sent to the minors is allowed to sign with any other team. Ah, uh, okay. Right. Um <laughs> so what the mayors have done is in order to make room for Ben Gamble to come back from his injury, Uh-oh. is they have optioned Guillermo Heredia to the minors. Okay. Leaving Ichiro, who is struggling, on the team. Ichiro is struggling right now. Yeah. He's 44, okay. so it's not super surprising that he's struggling. Most <laughs> yeah. 44-year-olds have long since retired. Yeah, okay. Um, Ichiro's defense has been fine. He has been offensively a liability, we'll say. And so Guillermo could have been—he's, like, actually a pretty good hitter. Guillermo has is— so far this season, been in every way better than Ichiro. God, He's also okay. been in every way better than Ben Gamble, who has not played yet. So, you know. Okay. So you've got this young player, Heredia, who's on a hot streak, and now they've optioned him to the minors, and they've kept – and they brought Gamble back from his injury, and they've left Ichiro struggling on the team. Yeah, Okay. Keep in mind that Mitch Hanniger and D. Gordon are exempt from this conversation. They are both playing exceptionally well. So no problems there. In. They have earned their spots. Got it. Um, 
So basically, between Ichiro, Hamill, and... Gamble. Gamble, sorry, Ichiro. Or I guess, if we're talking about last names, Suzuki, Gamble, and Heredia. Actually, Ichiro's going by just Ichiro now. He's got only oh, like the Brazilian like soccer player. Yeah, like the Brazilian oh, soccer yeah. player one name thing. Okay, can he go to a symbol so that we can call him the player formerly known as Ichiro? I'll call his agent and see what he says. Okay, cool. It sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, but we're down to Ichiro, Gamel, and Heredia. And what you're saying is Gamel hasn't even gotten a chance to shine because he's been injured. Heredia and Heredia is like definitely doing well on a hot streak. Young, tight, fit, um, single, ready to mingle. <laughs> I don't know if he's single. I mean, he's pretty young, so he might be. He's Cuban, so I doubt he is, because those Cubans, they they get get um, in early. And so my my theory here is, although I feel like you've presented it fairly unbiasedly, I think that you're upset that the Mariners are making a butts-in-seats money play over a... uh, we lose less than 100 games in a season play. <laughs> Is that kind of where we're at? With all due respect to Ichiro, <laughs> as a Mariners fan growing up, there are two players that stand out, and that's Ken Griffey Jr. and Ichiro Suzuki, and they are yeah. honestly on the same level of fandom for me. Okay. Because, you know, Griffey made the team fun to watch through the 90s, and Ichiro gave me a reason to give a shit in the 2000s. Okay, okay. Um, he needs to hang him up, up his cleats, man. He is <laughs> not MLB caliber anymore. Yeah. He, he was mostly, his last couple seasons on his last team, a pinch hitter. who just come in okay. occasionally. Didn't yeah. play, play that much. And he was pretty serviceable. Yeah. In that role. So let me ask, does, do you think he just doesn't know, or he doesn't care, or he's just like, lol, fuck you guys, you dinky young kids, I'm gonna, you know, be on the team and play like ass, but I make money, so deal with it? I don't, I think, I think he, <laughs> he's, he's doing everything he can to be great. He's just, he's 44. Yeah, okay. Like, he doesn't have the arm he had, which is one of his signature things in his defense. He doesn't have he doesn't hit like he used to. But what I'm saying is, like deep down, does he know this? He has to. He's yeah, not an idiot, so, right? Yeah, and so he has to. Like he he's played baseball his entire life or a large majority of his life. He knows when people play well and when they don't. So he has to know that he's passed his prime by ten years. <laughs> Or five or whatever it is. And but but that's what I'm saying. What keeps him in it? Right? Is it just that he loves to play and he doesn't want to love to play in the minors? Or like what is it? I mean you have to imagine that uh he's done this his whole life. Yeah. I don't think he knows what else to do. You wake but up I mean, and you play baseball. Like it's just yeah. what he does. He just wakes up and he plays baseball. I don't know. Like I think this probably happens with a lot of professional athletes. Is that when their career starts to wane down, they they don't know anything else. So they. So let me let me. I can offer him some free advice, and I'll only take like. Well, sorry, not free. Let's call it one percent fee advice. But I'll just fucking throw his money in a money market account. And I'll skim 1% off the top uh, of, of just his earnings. Um, and that's what he can do with the rest of his life <laughs> if he wants. Uh, just make 2% per year on however many millions of dollars he has. Uh, Aaron, I just... I... Does he need a financial analyst who doesn't know how to be a financial analyst? Because I can do that, I think. I just... I wouldn't have sent Heredia down. 
Yeah. Like I would maybe you leave Gamble on the disabled list for a few more days to you know I don't know, maybe his injury was fully recovered and there was just absolutely no reason to leave him on the disabled list. Or yeah. maybe it's tough because you know, Gamble was one of our best players last year. He's also young. You want him to be good. You need to give him yeah. at bats to figure out, you know, MLB pitching since the first games of the season. So it's understandable that he might not jump right off the line because everyone else has already gotten warmed up, getting into the season form, and he's just getting started. Yeah. It's so hard because Ichiro is such a legend in Seattle, and I I just wish I wish he would have signed the one-day contract and retired, which is a common thing that happens so that you officially retire on a certain team. God, so a lot of yeah. players who spend their entire career one place and then go somewhere else at the end of their career will uh, sign a one-day contract and then retire. <laughs> like, that's what I wanted to happen, but now he's yeah. on the team. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of, you know, especially if this guy's on a hot streak, you know, that's that's probably how Ichiro came over, you know, or how he got famous as well. Is like he was given a chance in Japan and then given a chance in Seattle and played and did well and never got pushed down by some other To be player. fair, Ichiro was absolutely phenomenal in Japan. It was not an oh, accident okay. that they brought him over. Like he was an amazing player in Japan. Okay. Every team in baseball was trying to get him. Seattle happened to get him and then he was even better when he got here. Like his okay. entire first half of his career like it's hard to really explain how great he was. He yeah, set okay. the all-time baseball record for most hits in a season is Ichiro. Wow. All-time record for most consecutive 200-hit seasons is Ichiro. Like, Dang. Pete Rose is the name of the guy who has the all-time most hits in baseball history. Mm-hmm. And if you add Ichiro's Japanese hits to his American hits, it's more than that guy. Okay, wow. They don't do that because they don't. Yeah. They're different leagues, but like the Japanese <laughs> baseball is real baseball. It's, it's not yeah, some it's... minor league. Like those guys are really fucking playing. Yeah. So, like the thousand something hits he got in Japan before he came to the United States were Art. real hits. Yeah. So dang, he's absolutely one of the best hitters in baseball history, and it's sad that he's let his career come to the point where he might actually be hurting the team he's a legend on. Yeah. Um, I wish Seattle had also found some other player to move down. Like, Heredia is super fast, and I know they have players on their bench that are just runners. So at least let him stay on the team for that. Although, if he goes back to the minors, then he gets to play every day, and he gets to get nine innings, and he sees more pitches. I guess that might— he gets to, like, destroy people. (laughs) I mean, they're not that much worse. He went to AAA, so those are the guys that's really on the brink of getting in. Got it. And he also might help some of the Mariners minor league players. I don't know. <laughs> Just, I really like watching. So, like, Heredia and then uh, D. Gordon and Segura. They have they have Heredia batting ninth and then D. Gordon first and then Segura th- second. Uh-huh. And when those three guys are in a row, they are all phenomenally fast. And so they nice. get, like, three little dinky infield hits in a row and you could just see the pitcher's eyes the fucking fury <laughs> how angry he is at these three guys just totally i just it's, or fill in the bases it's like i if you'd asked me at the beginning of last year what hope i had for seattle i would have told you none okay it, is, it was a geriatrics team it was a bunch of old guys <laughs> who were all past their prime okay and then Ben Gamble and Mitch Haniger, and then we got Gene Segura, and now we've got D. Gordon, and now we've got uh-huh. Heredia. Like, all of these young players who I had never heard of before last year are all core Doing well. amazing pieces of the Mariners, and they are all younger than 30. Nice. And so the fact that we have Ichiro and Robinson Cano and Nelson Cruz and Kyle Seeger, who are also core pieces of this team, but they're all, like, you know— they're in the twilight. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have hope. I have hope. We have a lot of young, good players. Yeah. And it's sad to me that one of the young, good players is being moved down so that one of the geriatrics guys can play. Because Ichiro is <laughs> not going to be part of a championship team. The Mariners aren't a championship team. They're not going to win it. 
Yeah. There's missing. They're missing a couple things. And yeah, uh, so you know, maybe there's that argument of like, you know, he put in ten years with us, and we were fucking shitty the whole time, and he leaves for five years, and we sign him back on, and instead of doing the one day. We're gonna give him the year because we're going all the way this year. Like it's it's we're unstoppable. There's absolutely and, no way that you can look at the Mariners roster and think they're going all the way. Yeah, but I'm just saying that that's maybe one place where you're like throw him in. What is he left or center field? Right field usually. God damn it! I guessed the other two. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, just let him play his defensive game just fine. And let him strike out or whatever. But then he can go all the way on the team. Like, okay, maybe there's an argument to be had there. But if they can foster better players to produce, like, a better future team, you know, then they might as well, right? Yeah, but the team. I want to put it clearly. If every one of the players I've talked about so far has the best seasons of their career, still not a championship team. Yeah. Because okay. the thing that I haven't mentioned so far is that our pitching's garbage. Oh. So, you know— it's not a championship team yet. We're missing a couple key arms. We're like three pitchers away from <laughs> this team being able to go all the way. Three, three pitchers away. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, but I think that's a lot of pitchers. It is. We need, we need two really good bullpen arms and another really good starter. Yeah, okay. Which is a lot. That's a lot Just, that we don't yeah. have. Um, uh. Like... It's not a championship team. So they brought Ichiro back as, like, a memorial to a career. Yeah. Like, you know, the 2001 season, Ichiro's rookie year, Uh having dominated Japan for the previous seven years, his rookie year, his first year in the Major League Baseball, uh, the Mariners tied the all-time wins record. So it wasn't that every season he Uh was in Seattle was garbage. And then the next two years after they tied the all-time wins record, they won over 90 games. So mm-hmm. the first three years each year was here, Seattle looked like a baseball team. Interesting. The last rest of his career, they didn't. Got it. Everything just kind of <laughs> fell apart after that. <laughs> Rob, why don't you become a baseball team like owner or manager? You got a billion dollars because then we can make this happen. <laughs> Otherwise, for SOL, man. Damn it. Okay. When I come across a billion dollars, I will we'll figure it out. You and me. Okay, Rob. Uh, so there, there's some pretty fun topics floating around. Um. I want to put. I want to do like a brief thirty-second shout out to my main man, Neil Gorsuch. If you didn't realize, uh, that was sarcasm, but only ninety-nine point nine percent sarcasm, because for the first and probably last time of his career, uh, he sided with the four liberals in a judgment. What was it? Late last week, something like that. Or mid last week, something. Uh, basically, it was a case around uh, deporting violent criminals, and the uh, the way Gorsuch put it was that the wording of the law passed by Congress was quote unconstitutionally vague, um, and so it just goes to show you that while Supreme Court justices are politicized, there's no question, and they are political beings. Um, they, sometimes they have principles that they at least, they either have or pretend to have that run so deep, they'll side with the other side because of those principles. And while I think it will probably be the last time he sides with liberals ever, um, it was kind of interesting for one of his first cases within a year of him being on the bench uh, to come out with him as the the swing vote in a in a case siding with the liberals. So shout out to Neil Gorsuch for siding with the liberals for the first and last time. Moving on, so, did you want to comment? I got nothing to say to that. He's yeah. like, I, I hadn't heard of that, so I 
Yeah. I know, it just didn't cross my radar, I guess. It's just fascinating. Um, he's one of those people who's, like, uh, snarkily obsessed with a strict reading of the Constitution, which is... I haven't read his opinion. I read some excerpts, and it sounded like his his opinion was a bunch of like douchey, like the law is too vague, so it's unconstitutional, and blah blah blah. So it was kind of douchey, but still fascinating that he sided with the liberals. Um, so I want to talk about something, and I don't know why it's been in the news recently, uh, but I've heard a few. Inter- I heard an interview on NPR. I feel like I heard something maybe on the Daily. Um, I know maybe like a month or two ago, there was some famous people talking about it. Um, and that is lethal autonomous weapons, uh, otherwise known as killer robots. Although there are many other ways to, uh, define them. So lethal autonomous weapon sounds way fu- more fun. Yeah, lethal autonomous we- laws, if you will. Um, so the the first thing I want to do is kind of just like gauge gauge where you're at. And what I want to say is I kind of want to um, filter away defensive systems. So um, and it's kind of interesting. Do you know? what the first lethal autonomous weapon ever invented was. No idea. I'm guessing it's something ridiculous a long-ass time ago. Yeah. Uh, And not ridiculous, though. It was a landmine. You could probably make an argument for some other things. But a landmine is an autonomous weapon, right? At the time of its use of force, let's say, the landmine had some type of logic that is pressure sensors and blows up so um however landmines are famously uh not accurate uh you leave a ton of landmines around and people inevitably end up civilians end up dying or people cleaning them up end up dying um but in general i think that there's and maybe you disagree let me know if you think do you think that in general defensive autonomous weapons um are generally okay to use no no okay now okay that's one um what about ones that are not anti-personnel but are anti-device so what about um say like iron dome in israel it's not designed to ever attack personnel it's only designed to shoot down uh, missiles coming into their into Israeli airspace. I'm okay with that. I'm I, same here. Okay, so that, but that's a good distinction. So the to me, I actually really like that distinction. I let's filter away then for the purpose of a discussion. Anti uh, ordinance, anti ordinance autonomous weapon systems. So Iron Dome. You know, there are things that go on tanks, I forget they're called, but like, um, you know, aircraft carriers have these, tanks have these, where if they detect incoming ordnance, like missiles or bombs or whatever, they will defensively attack those offensive weapons. Um, But for the purpose of this discussion, let's talk about things that are autonomous and that, regardless of how you spin it, will inflict force and harm and death possibly on personnel, on human beings. So we'll filter away the things that defend against ordinance. So just in general, uh, and, and let's go, well, let's go to a landmine. Do you think, <laughs> Rob is gearing up for the answer. Do you think an autonomous weapon like a landmine should be used? No. Do you think an autonomous weapon like a, uh, let's say, uh, on an aircraft carrier, nobody interacts, but it's programmed to uh, find, target, and destroy uh, jets? Like, no. Enemy jets. Okay. Um, 
what about okay very similar i'm trying to think if there's anything else okay this i think i know the answer to this one because i'm getting progressively worse how about literally killer robots like literally yeah that's hard no (laughs) killer killer marines uh so hard no okay so what i think is interesting is you going all the way down to landmine now here's here's the next thing let's Talk about those three things, um, like a landmine, a missile system that attacks, like, let's say, um, humans that are in weapons, and then, like, literally Marines or infantry. Okay, so those are kind of like the three. You've got super dumb, like, landmines. Pretty smart and probably doesn't kill very many civilians, the missiles, right? Because, like, you're not going to have civilians driving around in jets, and then you have, you know, uh, the military, like the infantry, robotic infantry that may kill um, civilians, um, although would hopefully be programmed to only target combatants. What if each one of those systems are autonomous in their ability to find, evaluate, and target enemy combatants, but require authorization from a human being to take any action no still no interesting okay um why uh i think that if you 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 depersonalize war and you make it so that back in your country there's no human sacrifice and so there ends up not being any war wariness which allows you to have the longest war in your country's history. Yeah. Um, without, without your people dying, there is no motivation to end the conflict. There's no yeah. motivation to come to any type of satisfactory end. What I think there should be is there should be a public vote. The whole country votes on whether or not we go to war. And if you vote yes, your children are eligible for the draft. Okay, interesting. Or that's what you... I that's how far I'm going with this. I I don't want there to be military action in other countries that we aren't personally invested in. I'm tired of us going in and training the local soldiers. This is just or us arming. Like it takes American lives out of the line of fire, which takes American minds out of the war. And so now there's a whole bunch of people fighting and dying that we don't care about because they aren't us. And I don't think that that's good. I think that war, like the Vietnam War ended because of how many Americans died in it. I was and just about to say people back that, yeah. home got fucking sick of it. And so we found a way to end that war. The war in Iraq isn't over now because no more Americans are dying in it. And so no one here cares. All of these people are suffering in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria... They're suffering over there, and that's because of us, and we don't care anymore because no more Americans are dying. And that is what will happen is if we send in all of these autonomous weapons to do our fighting for us is there will never be an end to these wars because there will never be a public push back home to end them. Yeah, so that's one of my favorite um, philosophical arguments because to me, logically um, – in just terms of uh, like logical fairness, let's say, the landmine, the missiles, or the infantry that don't make their own decisions but are run by a human, or at the end of the day, the decision to harm is clicked by a human. Um, from a purely logical standpoint, you would you would say that that's theoretically very little difference in the end result other than the human cost, right? Because, like, basically what I'm saying, if you got, you got five entered infantry, five robotic infantry run by five humans, and, if, and those five humans could be there, they'd make the same decision, possibly. Uh, well, maybe not because they're— Let's say they would, though. Let's say they would. For the sake of this argument. Yeah. That's that's a good point, Rob. For for the purposes of the discussion, because you're right, even they themselves are less likely to be careful. You like 
who the fuck cares? Or not, you don't care because you might ruin like a million dollar machine, but like you're going to be less not, careful. Yeah, you're worried about the machine, not the lives that are on the line. Exactly. But for the purpose of discussion, let's say that they basically make the call on that machine to attack or not as if they were the ones standing there. And this guy made an interesting, because he took that step, that tact, and basically said that he was in Afghanistan and he was a sniper. I was listening to this interview on NPR. And they saw like a six-year-old girl scouting them. She saw them. They saw her. She saw that they saw her. And she was basically a scout. But neither him nor any of his compatriots shot at her at all. Um, and so you could make the argument that if a human were behind that robot sniper, they would have also made a similar, like, do you know what? There's just, even though the rule, like whatever defined rules of war basically say anyone who can affect, you know, who is a scout is now a military combatant and can therefore be uh, like, you can use force against them. They all decided none of us are willing to shoot at a six-year-old girl. And I think that let's say that if you even did make that robot decision, so every like you got six sniper robots or five or whatever, and all five of the sniper operators say that as a scout, the robot has identified that six-year-old girl as an enemy combatant, and then all six of the humans say, I am choosing not to fire. The only difference there, again, assuming that you don't take the the risk factor, but the only difference in making that decision or not is that in no way will there ever be a human cost on your side, right? You've got, we're just using our microcosm example, and then assuming that you go all the way and you have fucking all jets that don't have humans inside, and then all infantry that don't, they all have human, maybe even operators, but not humans inside, and I think a good argument in support of what you just said is Vietnam. Like, the, the, it's like, you know, we're, we've been in war since we were like, what, 12? I think I was 12 or 13 in 2002, right? So we've been in the Iraq War since, since we were 12, and now we're 29. And I don't even notice, right? And, and someone might say, oh, I notice, like, I, but... They don't. They they live. They they probably go days without noticing, right? And that I think is the piece that's most worrisome to me. It, same thing. I'm not as worried. Actually, I bet we could program robots pretty effectively to not shoot at six year old girls and to make decisions like that. But even if we could make it perfectly uh, like a perfect warrior, that it it literally acted the way God like wanted a warrior to act in wartime that it would still completely break down that the the sacrifice that has been the only thing that's ever stopped war in the past right yeah i mean that's the, that's exactly my argument is like yeah you have to if one side doesn't risk any lives then there's never going to be an end to that fight. Yeah. Um, and so, like... Until one side's dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and that, so just recently, I think it was like, it might have been this year, um, a bunch of famous people, Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak, these are all fairly famously liberal people, Noam Chomsky, uh, they, they all signed this, um, you know, kind of letter, open letter at the International Joint Conference on Artificial Intelligence, basically making that argument that even if we do this perfectly, the thing that you can't do is create the empathy for the, the destruction of war. Right, and the only thing that creates that empathy is seeing people come home, like understanding the horror and understanding the human life. Because nobody gives, like, even early on in the Iraq War, when when service men and women did die, that is upsetting to see, you know, and hear about. Whereas a drone going down doesn't even register at all. 
Well, like right? you got you see, like there was a lot of push to end the war late in Bush's term and early in Obama's. And then Obama started making a lot more decisions with drones, drones. and pulling a lot of soldiers out. Yep. And people kind of stopped caring. No, I totally The war uh, didn't end. Iraqis didn't forget. Yeah. They're I, still in a war. I totally agree. And what I would say, though, is I don't want to really comment too much on the uh, – what's the word? The philosophy of whether we should be in that war or not. Or, be. or Syria, for example. Um, I think that there's – if there's anything that I'm not very good at having a discussion about, it's whether or not we should be in a conflict. Because like something like Syria is one of those things that I'm just like I, – yeah, I, I don't want the human cost on our side. But I don't want the human cost on Syria's side either. And then you wonder like – you know, it's it's like Hitler. I'm not saying Assad is equal to Hitler quite yet, um, as far as we know, let's say. But it's like at a certain point, the the human cost, regardless, is so horrifying that you do want your government to take action. And you would take action yourself. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I'm not very good at discussing things like Syria. <laughs> I, I, I'm like very much in the middle and like I'm not smart enough for that. <laughs> you know? I think I'm, I'm past the point in my personal tolerance for this where I do not – I think that the United States' involvement in these conflicts should be to the point where they are not the leading contributor of international aid. Right, so I don't want the U.S. military to go in more than any other country. Ah, so okay. if we could get the United Kingdom and France and Germany and Russia to and China to all to, to, to commit to sending in like peacekeeping troops to prevent violence, I, I would be okay with the United States joining that so long as the United States isn't the leader. Got it. They could be they, – maybe equal. they can uh, – not even all equal. You know, they, Sorry, not all equal, equal, but I'm just saying, you're just saying they could be tied with the leader. Less than the leader. You'd prefer less than the leader. One less than the leader. Like I just – I'm tired of the United States leading these things because if things go well, well, that's never happened before. So we don't know what that would be. Uh, but when things go badly, we're blamed. And I'm, I'm just like, the United States needs to, to, to realize that this is a no-win situation for them politically. We're going to continue to create enemies around the world. We're going to continue to create terrorist factions that hate us. Yeah. Uh, until, and, like, you know, when was the last time that we had a conflict where it worked out the way we hoped? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where is, <laughs> where we created, you know, Vietnam is not... Probably, probably yeah. World War Two. Yeah, and that was international, where we weren't yeah, the leader. Exactly, <laughs> uh, and and so that's a, that's a good argument. I'd say that the Korea didn't quite work out. No, great. I, I'd probably say the only war where you'd have like a fairly large, like greater than eighty percent of Americans say that we should have contributed, and the result was depends on who you ask. I, I think that a lot of um, Palestinians aren't happy with the way Israel was carved up at the end of World War II. But, like, in general, the result was better. Whereas when you take the Iraqi war, it was worse until we were like, oh, shit, we made it worse. We created a power vacuum, and now there's ISIS, and now we have to go back. One of the worst genocides in the past 30 years was Rwanda. Yeah. And we and didn't, we didn't do get shit. involved. Yeah. And now Rwanda is a peaceful democracy. <laughs> so that's yeah, like, that's, that's a good argument. I, I, I like we tried over and over again, and I think our hearts are in the right place, but we we don't fix anything. We never fix anything. Okay, Vietnam's, so I mean, you could make an argument that South Korea is better off for our involvement. Yeah, but the Korean Peninsula. Is not uh, in general. It's a, it's a rough. It's a rough one. 
Uh, Vietnam, that didn't quite work out the way we we had dreamed it. Uh, yeah. You know, Kuwait. No. Yeah. Uh, Iraq. Literally, I don't think any of them since overthrowing the peaceful democracy in Iran in the 1970s. Yeah, which wasn't um, really military action. It was more like. Well, we did it in 1952 as well, so it was more like covert, put a puppet in place that we like. How did overthrowing the government in Libya go for us? Yeah. <laughs> um, what about what about Egypt? We didn't really directly militarily get involved, but when Egypt's government was falling, we didn't stop it. It's like yeah, so over and over again, we fail. Now, let me add, now, now I generally agree with you. Um, with the lethal autonomous weapons that the number one factor for me and the thing that always comes back to my mind is the fact that when you remove the horror on your side, it's just, it's out of sight, out of mind. Um, and, and partially I make that argument anyway that, you know, to a degree, even though there are you know human lives involved in the early parts of the Iraqi and Afghani wars, like still kind of out of sight, out of mind, because it's just so far. It's not on our soil. It's nowhere near our soil. Like it's just even that. Even knowing that there are humans, it still feels like a majority of Americans. It's out of sight, out of mind. And again, I know that there's somebody who's like it's uh, you know every day. I thought, but like. In general, you lived your life. You you weren't an Iraqi who was in, you know, Mo, or is it Mosul? Mosul, yeah. Yeah, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it is not the same. <laughs> Sorry. And so when you take away the human cost even, and it's literally just robots, it, it just, it, it it's yet another degree of removal that just kind of detaches people away from the fact that we're even in a war. Um, so, but let me ask the probably, in my opinion, best counter argument. I'm just curious what you think. The best counter argument is, um, yeah, but Russia or so and so is already doing this, and then we'll be behind. If we want to be Russia, let's just go ahead and be Russia. I think that's not the example we should strive to be. Uh, if that's what you're going to compare yourself to, you know, Hitler used some pretty good military tactics. If you want to go use some of those, gassing people worked real well. Yep. If you want to set your standard based on the bad guy, sure, go for it. Yep. I think that you should always strive to be the best guy. And sometimes the best guy has to take some hits in order to uh, to keep that moral ground. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like... Um... Hey, why don't we use chemical weapons against Assad and his regime? There are probably some people who would be like, sure, let's do it. But I think majority would say, no, that's like across the line. And I think what we just haven't gotten to yet is um, I don't know if I, I don't feel like this is necessarily in enough discourse for it to be across the line yet. I think we generally consider nuclear weapons and chemical weapons. Uh, and biological weapons to be across the line. Um, and I don't know if this is enough in the kind of public discussion to have be able to say, yeah, everyone pretty much agrees that this is across the line. I'm hoping that one day bullets will be considered across the line. And I don't think we will ever get there yeah. if robots are the ones fighting our wars. You almost think about it when you're like, you're like yeah, napalm is across the line and then you kind of realize really this sucks like why are humans the worst this is all across the line <laughs> like why do we have to be such assholes uh but yeah you're right I, I think yeah bullets like you said that's across the line um but as long as we continue to be human beings um i think the line will be far past bullets and it will continue to be past napalm well, napalm's not not legal anymore. Like it's against, oh. that's against that's against the rules of war. I actually did Vietnam. not know that. Yeah, we're not allowed to use that anymore. Hey, we'll see. There you go. That's pretty good. Lower. But it's the like line. as long as the United States gets to use it for one war, 
then they can go ahead and say it's crossed the line. The the United States needs to use it once, and then we'll all understand. And then we'll all agree (laughs) that it's crossed the line. We'll nuke nuke Japan. We'll napalm Vietnam. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Do we do anything sketchy in Korea? Probably. I don't know. I don't know. Probably around the same. And then we'll drone for the entire Obama presidency in the Iraq and Afghani wars. God, please let that be considered across the line in five years. I mean, it, it's it's like you said. It remove. It's another degree of like I don't give a shit if a drone is shot down. So before we close, real quick, I want to do one thing because I'd like to discuss something next week. It's along the same lines. I just finished Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein. Have you ever read that? No, but I watched a television show when I was a little kid. The tele. I've never seen the television show. There's a movie. I've heard that the movie is nothing like the book, except for that it's. Starship Troopers. I, I don't know. Is the book a comedy? Because the movie's kind of a comedy. No, the book is not a comedy at all. There's a few funny quips, but it's generally not a comedy. Um, it's written by uh, Heinlein, who's a f- pretty devout, was, I think he passed away. Uh, I don't know, actually. I'd have to look that up real quick. But he's he's like a libertarian's libertarian. He's not your dinky Rand Paul or Ron Paul libertarian. He's like actually a libertarian. So he's insane. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um or at least more so I mean fairly libertarian. Um but also to the point where he, he so he did serve in Vietnam, I believed and I be, uh, could be wrong. I'd have to check that. Maybe he served in World War 2. Um. Well, there's I'll, a pretty big gap between those. It's like, you're you're there was, and now I'm 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 sure I think it's World War Two mostly. Um. Okay, uh, where are we going with it? Anyway, okay, These so are the facts that literally no one cares about. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Facts that actually it looks more like between World War One and World War Two. Still, he was in the no Navy. one cares. Yeah, but I still want it to be wrong. Anyway. Um, but he, he was a fairly talented writer. So he writer, started writing novels and so not pure libertarianism, but kind of a, I'd say like a philosophical libertarianism where he explored the kind of extremes. Um, and what he, what, one of the things that he proposed in this book, Starship Troopers, which I think is immensely fascinating. I would recommend it to anyone. There's some cool philosophical conversations in it. Um, but you don't get to vote in this society unless you have served a military term of two years. Um, and this is not unheard of. So you have... Um, well, sorry, it is unheard of mostly, I believe, across the world. But what's not unheard of is, for example, Israel um, has mandatory uh, service. Korea's so both do. Okay, yeah. So um, everyone gets to vote, but so everyone's a citizen and gets to vote by default, but you also are supposed to serve if you can. In... In Heinlein's world, in this federation, in Starship Troopers, um, you not only can serve, you have a right to serve. And I don't think that's quite true in the United States. If you're disabled enough, um, you cannot serve in the U.S. military. And that is false in his, in his world. He's like, they will find a way. You may not serve on the front lines, but you will. there will be a way for you to serve two years in you know, a military capacity, not necessarily wartime, but a governmental, you know, capacity. Um, and what happens is that at, you can either go, you can go longer if you want, but when you finish a term, then you get your franchisement. Then you're allowed to vote. So before I go, there's one tweak I'm going to put on it. What do you think about that? I uh, think it's ridiculous. think it's ridiculous. Okay. And... I think it was probably a good idea back in the era of World War II and World War One. Why? Uh, because wars were fought by a whole lot more people than they're fought by today. Cool. Okay. Um, but nukes changed a lot of shit about war. That's true. 
Um, it's like a lot more posturing. Okay, but but what I'm saying, then let me take a step back. When the book begins, it's peacetime. And kind of. Well, the store, anyway, whatever. Um, and then the military kind of becomes that two years is, is just social work, kind of. Or, you know, could even be building roads or researching or... Um, you know, the size of the infantry would be smaller, but the term of service is more of like a, you know, societal, it doesn't have to be military. Does that make sense? It's more like army corps of engineers in your own country. Does that make sense? It sounds a lot like Mormonism is what you're trying to sell me on. I, maybe I don't, is that, <laughs> oh, like the two, yeah, okay. Uh, sure, except I think it would be more of like literally, you know, building roads or doing research or something this like that. This guy doesn't sound very libertarian, forcing people to do two years of work. So it's not forcing them because it's only only if you want to. You choose to do it to get the vote. So no, I'm on the other side of that where I think that everyone should be required to vote all the time anyway and there should be absolutely no barrier is where I'm at. Interesting. So now here here's where his... I think there should be a tax on not voting. And the tax, your tax that you pay should go to the party that you are least likely to support. So if a black person doesn't vote, it should go to the Republican Party. <laughs> and if a rich white person doesn't vote, it should go to the Democratic Party. They just basically put you in a demographic bucket and then it goes to the opposite party when you don't vote. Interesting. I want everyone to vote. Yeah. Period. Okay, okay. So now he, here's where the fascinating bit comes in because – and this is where, I, like I said, he's not like a pure libertarian. It's more of like a philosophical like way he stretches his mind, I guess I would say. And I would really encourage you to read the book because it's much better. The way he presents it, you've gone through this process of like basic training and shit like that with the main character. Um, but the argument that's made is that the only people – who you can be sure they may not be selfless, they may not be democratic on the whole's behalf, but the only people who you can be sure have been at least taught how to do that is someone who has gone through military service. Like someone who has not only... like. They've put their body in between, literally their own, the only thing they own at the end of the day, between danger and society. And while on one hand, it's kind of crazy, it also shows this like actual, you know, um, love and appreciation for the whole, for the society. And his kind of philosophical argument is that because of this, because of the choice and the way that you've been trained to be capable of putting yourself between harm and the good of the society, you are more equipped to make better voting decisions uh, when you are done with that military service because your votes can be... You've at least been trained to vote on behalf or, or to... Put yourself behind society. I don't know, Aaron. That sounds an awful lot like brainwashing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not. It's a little far fetched, but I, I that makes me very uncomfortable, and I do not like that idea. Oh, I'm not saying that we should implement that. Um, I just think it's a fascinating viewpoint that I wanted to share with the world, and I really do think people should read Starship Troopers, like the guys. While I don't agree with him on things like that, per se, um, I think it's an interesting perspective. And he approaches these types of ideas in a way that actually makes you go, huh, rather than what the fuck. Because I basically presented it in the what the fuck kind of way. And he presents it in a little bit more of a after you've gotten through this bit of the novel, now you you can kind of see where he's coming from. Um. And I don't think he actually pushed that in our society. It was just kind of more of a philosophical thing that's part of this book. Um, 
So anyway. You can find a link to the book in the show notes below. Yep. Starship so Troopers. <laughs> hey, Rob. Got anything else? <laughs> it's a bit premature. I know. That's what you're supposed to say. Uh, it's Facebook. Gmail. Yeah, yeah. Twitter. Check out the Facebook. Shoot us an email. Both still got nothing. Um, maybe one of these days I'll resurrect the Twitter. I just really don't like social media that much. It's not that I have anything against the privacy or I really care if Facebook's monitoring or any of that shit. I just don't find it interesting or entertaining. Yeah. And so there's so many other things I'd rather spend my time doing. It's a problem. I wish I liked it more because then I'd do it. I just don't care. Aaron. (laughs) Okay. I mean, Facebook is just a good, it's a good forum, I think. Got a yeah, I mean, group in there. whenever I want to schedule a party or I want to get a bunch of people together, I'm really glad I have Facebook. Pretty much all of the rest of the time. <laughs> what about for our uh, group, our podcast group? I-, I have it turned on full notifications. If anyone does anything in that group, I see it. Um, so that's the only group I have set up in that way. Same, I think. Pretty much the rest of Facebook, I only get notified if someone directly messages me. Yeah, okay, cool. Because otherwise I just don't care. Yeah. Okay, so hit us up in the group. Um, other than that, do you know what I would like to do? Get some book recommendations from people. So if you if you if if we recommend a book or a podcast and you know of a similar book or podcast that you think is interesting, like hop on in and make a recommendation to the group. Also, you want from the people, Aaron? Yeah, I want the people in Japan to get in the group. <laughs> I want to know who they are. Who are you? Killer robots. <laughs> they probably are just podcast listening robots. Probably just downloading American sounding speech to make some American sounding robots. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Hey, Rob. You got anything else? No.